All right, let's do a little comparison here. All right. There's this public transportation system. And there's this one. Wait for it. Wait for it. No, I lied. That's all there is. Okay, the first one makes me think of New York. Right. And the second one was here in Washington, D.C. Notice anything different? You mean other than Pachelbel's Cannon? Hmm. No. <laughs> okay, so there wasn't a lot of nuance, maybe. But anyone like us who's ridden the public transportation system in both cities can't help but notice there's a difference underground. Because we D.C. folks don't have breakdancers doing backflips off subway poles. Well, okay, yeah, you got me there. But when you hear someone like Chen Kong play the violin in the 57th Street F-stop, and that's who that was, by the way, I can't help but think about how differently these two major East Coast American cities approach public art. I'm Eric Brandner. And I'm Davin Coburn. And today on The Underscore, what's the role of music in modern urban spaces? And how can cities better support art in general? And heads up, this episode occasionally touches on mature subjects. Earmuffin kids. Remember those days when we were young, starving artist types, you know, before all this podcast money in our lives morphed into a giant episode of Entourage? So are you talking fat turtle version or skinny turtle version? Oh, the fat turtle version, obviously. Oh, then no. Well, Alex Young does. He's a 28-year-old guitarist in Virginia. He's building a following exactly the way you'd expect. So he fills in the gaps playing in the metro. Right. And to be clear, in some ways it's a little bit like reporting to an office. He said he's there from 4 p.m. until about 11 on many days. That's a seven-hour shift. And good luck with those bathroom breaks in the metro. For the first year there, Alex said he didn't have problems with the transit police. But in 2013, that began to change at the Ballston and West Falls Church metro stations. For a while, I just like kind of almost played cat and mouse. I was like, well, it's only like a couple of guys bothering me. But then like the couple of guys got extremely aggressive when they would kick me out. I don't think playing music is a crime. Yeah, so he's clearly never heard me rock a tambourine. <laughs> so what exactly are the laws in D.C. about this stuff? Well, according to Metro regulations, people are allowed to engage in free speech activities on their property, so long as the activity is in above-ground areas at least 15 feet away from station entrances, stairways, or escalators. What about the broken escalators? Oh, they don't talk about that. Now, here's what they did say, though. Young admits that he accepts tips from passersby who like his music. And that's pretty much what performers do. Of course. Why wouldn't he? The Metro argued that, quote, his request of patrons that he be paid some unspecified amount converts his activities into a commercial transaction. That's the prohibited conduct. So that free speech really has to be free speech. Free speech. I mean, if I'm just standing there ranting about my invisible girlfriend and someone hands me a dollar, did I request that donation or did I merely accept it? Were they paying you to stop? No, but do you think they would? I would. I take Venmo. <laughs> okay. But I've still seen performers off and on at the metro station for years. Oh, you're right. Some of them aren't actually on the metro's property. And for a few years now, they have held auditions for a summer program called Metro Performs, which lets singers and dancers and other people perform at select entrances. All right, so they're at least acknowledging these folks bring some sort of artistic value to the table. Absolutely. Unfortunately, thanks to the budget cuts, that gig doesn't actually pay anything. And just like in Alex's case, the performers weren't even allowed to accept tips or sell merchandise. So these folks come in, they pass an audition, they play the whole summer, and they earn no money. So would it surprise you to learn that oftentimes they don't play the whole summer? Some of the performers <laughs> just stop showing up? I mean, I thought being a freelance journalist was tough. So this whole thing's in gridlock? 
Well, thanks to Alex, things might be about to change. Last year, he sued the Metro to be able to play. In March, a federal judge in D.C. granted a permanent injunction against the Metro, making it completely legal for him and others just like him to play for tips in the above-ground free areas of the system as long as they still stay 15 feet away from the station entrances and the stairways, you know, and the broken escalators. But it could really be a game-changer for an artist who's just trying to get by. Normally, I'm out there five days a week. Right now, what it is is I'm trying to establish a really big gig schedule and at the same time also but use, like, the Metro playing in Alexandria just because it's also good practice. Those are decent places to play for sort of an upper-crust crowd. They are. And, you know, as he points out, it's a lot more beneficial to his music career than working at Starbucks. Now, Alex is obviously just one guy. But there are larger considerations here about what role music should play in public spaces. I reached out to the Busking Project. It's an advocacy group for street performers around the world. Its tagline is gain fans, make money, and avoid arrest. Which is pretty much what we're trying to do here now that you mention it. See, busking has been around since the first sidewalk snake charmers in Egypt. These days, though, the industry is in a precarious place. Here's Nick Broad. He's the group's founder. It used to be you had to sell 140 self-pressed CDs a month to make U.S. minimum wage. That's something that's completely feasible for an indie artist to do if they're doing enough gigs. You know, you you just sell a a handful of CDs at each one and and you can make minimum wage. Well, now you need to get four and a half million plays on Spotify every month, which is just an insurmountable task. So everyone's out there trying to recoup lost revenues, which means that venues and booking agents are totally oversubscribed. And because of the oversupply of great talent, venues can pay less than they ever have. Busking is, as far as I know, the only viable way of making a living that is open to artists of all socioeconomic backgrounds. You know, you don't need a master's in performance, you just need to be good. The underscore. Come for the music, stay for the economics. Another issue Nick mentioned was the privatization of public space, as corporations go to extremes to make everything clean and safe and often pretty sterile. In Boston this summer, the performers at Faneuil Hall actually went on strike for a while because the corporation that owns the marketplace created strict new rules for their acts. Now, to be fair, nobody really wants a street performer right up in their face. Oh, of course. There's always the question of performing versus panhandling and police trying to keep things under control. Nick acknowledged as much. It's quite a gray area. I mean, if begging is illegal and busking is legal, if a bigger picks up a drum and just starts banging it, is he now a busker? So there is a gray area, but I would say that cops are a little bit too conservative in what they consider to be uh, legal. You know, there's another issue that people probably haven't even thought about. What's that? Well, give me some money. Huh? Give me some money. Thought you took Venmo. Besides, I got like 10 bucks on me. Who carries cash anymore? Exactly. Only half of Americans carry more than 20 bucks on them at any time. They simply don't have the cash on hand to drop in a guitar case. Here's Nick again. They're expecting the odd person to give $20 or 20 pounds or 20 euros or whatever. And it's just physically impossible for over 50% of their audience to do that. His organization is building an app where performers can create an account online, and then passersby can simply find them in the app and donate to them on their phones. Okay, so that's a really cool idea, but I wonder if something like that could really work. Listen, I'm all for artists working their way up, but why is there a larger question of social good here? Okay, well, for one, busking may be the only readily available live performance that is created and consumed by society's underserved communities, the immigrants, ethnic minorities, people with disabilities... Sure, that's logical. And it's that issue in particular that has sparked the interest of the UN. The UN? Really? Yeah. Within the General Assembly, there's an official body that focuses specifically on urbanization. It's called UN Habitat. Last year, Nick was invited to speak to them about Busking's role in something he calls placemaking. 
placemaking is urban planning, but with less focus on artistic design and more focus on community. How do you have a path that doesn't just get people from A to B, but it gets people to sit on benches and communicate and actually sort of become part of their city? And at the moment, councils are scrambling to find ways to get people to come back into town. You know, we're all shopping on Amazon and eBay and just sitting at home playing computer games. You know, they're trying to find these really cheap and quick and high impact ways of entertaining people. But they're going for the $5 million bronze sculpture that four people are going to appreciate and everyone else is going to think is a monstrosity. Well, that's an interesting idea anyway. Yeah, along with his PowerPoint, he had fellow buskers performing during his remarks. They closed with a pair of tango dancers never get to go to meetings with tango dancers. At one point, Nick was giving impassioned remarks about the unifying power of public performance. And then he said this. I was saying that people were making eye contact in the subway and that I did that once. And this is true that, uh, you know, when I first moved to New York, there was a guy sort of sitting on a bench opposite me and I made eye contact with him and he he came over and he offered me a (laughs) blowjob. Now, did he also claim he was Jesus? Because that would really push that story over the top. (laughs) No, he didn't. But uh, after about 20 seconds, I realized what I'd said. I thought, oh, I'm sorry. I can't believe I said that. (laughs) I'm doing a televised presentation at the UN where I said the word fellatio. That doesn't happen in any meetings I attend either. Which part? (laughs) So you started this episode with New York. I'm guessing you're going to say they do a pretty good job embracing musicians up there? Yeah, I am. Whether it's government regulated or not. 30 years ago, New York's MTA began its Music Under New York program, auditioning acts to perform throughout its system. Today, more than 350 people in groups play 7,500 performances a year. So there's an audition process up there too? Yeah, more than 200 different groups applied this year to try out. Here's Lydia Bradshaw. She's director of the program. The annual auditions are an amazing day that are held in Grand Central Terminal. Each year we have a panel of judges, about 35 musicians, music professionals, and transit representatives that judge each of the acts, and there were 70 performances this year. We added about 26 individual and groups to our roster. So what kind of acts made the cut? I'll wait till you hear. Lydia pointed out that the New York City subway system is one of the most diverse places on Earth, and she wanted to have acts that represented that appropriately. We had Celtic and folk guitar, West African chora player, Cuban percussionist, Brazilian guitarist, French reggae, klezmer, and jazz group, a Chinese monochord performer, a French waltz, an American standards group. So we have just a whole range of performers, which we're very excited about. I don't even know what some of those things are. It's pretty cool, huh? And they can accept tips? Yeah, everyone's got to make a living. Well, what about the D.C. folks? Yeah, they have to make a living, too. Some places just manage to embrace artists better. Here's Sandra Bloodworth. She's director of the MTA's larger arts and design program. You know, when you include art in music, you are transforming more than you might think. You're transforming people's day or their journey. And it can change people's whole mood just to come across music and stop a moment and listen. So is every subway performer affiliated with this program? Because there's a lot of people playing music up there. No, and that's a good point. Everyday folks are free to perform in the subway stations and collect money too. Though sometimes police look at them as panhandlers. It's a tricky balance. Sure, and you've got to believe that some of those folks go on to do some pretty cool things. Oh, they do. Now, the MTA takes a lot of pride in this program. As many as 6 million people ride the subway every day, so they figure you're playing for one of the largest audiences in the world. They tend to feel like it's a major accomplishment in itself. They don't tend to look at it as a stepping stone to other things. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. But there's no question that some folks who perform in the New York City subways do, in fact, go on to additional great things. 
I started at the Art Institute of Chicago on Michigan Avenue. And the first day I just came out there and just kind of made a bunch of noise. But then when I saw the people would pay some attention to me and I picked a few songs to put uh, into my, my resume. And some guy said, you know what? You're so good, man. You probably make a lot of money down the subway. And, you know, of course, that's all it took. <laughs> that's Damon C. Scott. He's performed on streets and in the New York subways for decades now. Now, several years ago, a fellow musician heard Damon in the subway and offered him work as a vocalist for hire. One introduction led to another, and soon Damon was recording a track for the UK artist known as Storm Queen. Huh. I gotta start paying more attention in the subway. Well, in 2013, millions of people may not have known his name, but they sure got to know his voice on the song Look Right Through. Makes me wish I knew how to dance. <laughs> me too. And it's exactly the sort of thing that can come from the visibility artists get by performing in public. So did these folks in the subway know that they were watching a number one artist in the making? Well, you know, if you're measuring by the sheer number of random YouTube videos strangers upload of you, yeah, they kind of did. Damon's career took a real step forward over the past two years. He performs with groups like Mob Culture, and he's launching his own record label, Great Scott. Here's Damon again. I love New Yorkers and all the people who've come to New York and seen me in New York. The people of New York have taken care of me extremely well. For however many years that I've done what I've done in the subway, people have listened to me and people have given me money and done things with, with who I am. And including Storm Queen, all of this came from me being a performer in the subway. So I just want to say thanks to everybody. Now, that's a great story, but we can't really do a whole episode about the subway in New York City without talking about the dance crews. You know, those Showtime guys who come in and start breakdancing inside the subway cars? Here we go! New Yorkers love them or they hate them, but either way, I had to ask Nick about them. I like what they do. I like the fact that they exist. However, the pure busking is performing for an audience that is not captive. I mean, also buskers who perform to the large lines outside of theaters, or they perform in plazas next to people who are sitting down at cafes and stuff. You know, these, these are essentially captive audiences. So I, I don't really see, that, see it as busking. They're certainly entertaining. I still wish I knew how to dance. Me too. That'll do it for this episode, but there's always bonus content at the underscore.net. You can find a map of where the MTA musicians are playing in New York and some of our favorite busker videos from around the world. Spoiler, that includes James Bond breathing fire. And don't forget to check us out on iTunes, Facebook, and go ahead and give us a follow over on Twitter at underscore pod. Please. A special thanks to Alex Young, whom you can now hear more often in the DC Metro system and at the Torpedo Factory in Alexandria on August 20th. Thanks also to Nick Broad, whose busking project app is launching soon, and to Sandra Bloodworth and Lydia Bradshaw of the MTA. Sandra just authored a new book called New York's Underground Art Museum. It's all about the amazing art in the system. You should definitely check it out. And last but not least, thanks to Damon for his time. He's in the market for a new manager, and you can reach him through DamonCscott.com. Until next time, I'm Eric Brander. I'm Davin Coburn, and this is The Underscore.